Well, I do greet you once again in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and I welcome you on this Lord's Day Sabbath as we continue our short series on liturgy. When we last gathered for worship, <clears throat> we considered the question, what happens when we worship? Uh, we learned that worship is a spiritual act of the people of God in which we ascribe to the Lord all that is due to him and to him alone. We ascribe to the Lord glory that is due to his name. And we do so with all of our hearts, our minds, our soul, our strength. We offer to God adoration. We learned that we have been created for worship. The reason why we exist is to worship God. We also learned that we have deviated from the purpose of our existence by sin. But God, who is boundless in mercy, as we have just sung, has decreed to save man from sin and to reclaim right worship for himself. We learn that the Father is seeking. And, and when we say the Father is seeking, that also means the Son is seeking and the Spirit is seeking. Worshippers. The purpose of the Great Commission. What is it but worship? When we think of Matthew chapter 28, often we think of Matthew 28 only being that which is related to missions or to evangelism. But what's the call? The call is to baptize and to teach them to obey all that God has commanded. And what is that but worship? Call them to right worship. Call those who are unbelievers to believe in God and to worship God alone. To worship the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. The Great Commission is a call to worship God. To worship God with new, new hearts and new minds. We learn that worship is the terminus for the believer. I said that word last week and some of you may have said terminus. What does that word mean? That's fine. Terminus is the final point for the believer. It's the goal for the believer. It's where all believers are heading. We are heading toward eternal worship to the Father, Son, and Spirit. That's where we're going. That's where we are now. And today, with God's help, we shall consider this question. What happens when we worship? What happens when we worship? Uh, speaking to Pastor Isaiah last night, uh, I, I said to him, I think I better just get to some of the parts of liturgy because I could be on worship for the rest of my life. Uh, so I'm going to start next week just getting on the parts of liturgy. But I think it's important that we, we at least answer this question. And listen, there are many more things that we could add to this question, what happens when we worship. Today we'll just be considering two. But today, what happens when we worship? How would you answer that question? Uh, sometimes we say, if that question was asked to you, well, it's being asked to you. How would you answer that question? I wonder if when your family or friends, those who are closest to you, when they hear of how well you speak of this church, and I hope that you're speaking well of this church, when they hear of how well you speak of this church, when they ask you, well, well, what do you do when you worship? When you gather for worship, what, what does your church do? I'm sure that you probably heard some sort or variation of that question. What, what do you do when you guys worship? What, what makes your gathering so great? You know what they're really asking you, aren't they? Or don't you? They're asking, what happens when you worship? They know that you're coming for worship. What happens when you worship? Uh, they may say, what's it like? 
Right? They may say something like, well, what do you do? Right? When we're faced with that question, now we're also faced with something else. We're faced with answering in a way that's appealing. Right? We're faced with now answering the question with something that, that would be alluring. We may say things like, the word is so good. It's just, it's good. You've just got to hear the word. I hope that's something that you might be saying. Or you might be saying, the people there are so loving. That should be another thing. That you say. They're just so nice there. They, they really love each other. That's good. That, or you may say something like, it's conservative. It's not all that jumping around and running like the old church. Right? Maybe you might be saying, we have great fellowship meals. And we do. The best in all the Reformed Baptist churches. All those things are true. And listen, and all those things are true. I hope. The word is good. Uh, people do love one another here. Uh, it is not crazy like some of the churches that at least some of us have come from. And we do have great fellowship meals. But the person, I think, should be led to a deeper reason for what we do or what happens when we gather for worship. They should be led to a, a deeper reason for our gathering. What happens when we worship? The answer to that question, listen to this, should be the motivating factor for you to come and worship on the Lord's Day. The answer to the question, what happens when we worship, should be the thing that motivates you to come and worship. What causes you, brothers and sisters, to prepare all week to gather for the saints in worship? What causes you, what, what happens here that, that makes you, I hope, lay out your clothes the day before? To prepare your lunch the day before, or maybe the, even the morning. To make sure that you have gas in your car the day before. Uh, to buy your coffee, to get your energy drink the day before. To, to make sure you know where your Bible is. To prepare your offerings and your tithe, to have them out of the bank already, in your pocket and ready to give. To make sure that you are rested for the Lord's day. What happens when we worship that would cause you to make sure that all of those things are right? To, all, to make sure that all of those things are prepared. Here's the answer. We meet with God. What happens when we worship? To the person who is interested. What, what do you do when you gather for worship? Here, here's the answer. We meet with God. And we worship Him. Is that alluring enough? Is that intriguing enough? We gather together to worship God and we meet with Him. Uh, what, what would the, the seeker, the one who was asking, I wonder what they would say when you say to them that. What do you do? We meet with God and we worship Him. What more must we do? The answer to that question is we meet with and we commune with God. That is why being here matters, saints. Because when we're here, uh, unlike any other meeting, we meet with God and we worship Him. When we worship God in the manner that He has commanded we are meeting with God. Listen to this. Literally meeting with God. Literally meeting with God. 
we are able to say along with our brother Jacob when we worship, surely the Lord is in this place. We are in the presence of God even now. Dear ones, if God is not here, if we are not meeting with God, if we are not fellowshipping with God, then our worship is meaningless. You've come for nothing. If you have not come to meet with God, then you've come for nothing. Because our meeting, our gathering, is specifically intended for us to meet with God. If the motivation for your attendance is something other than meeting with God, communing with God, then your attendance is in vain. Then your being here, once again, is meaningless. If the primary reason for your gathering is to be with a friend, to enjoy a program, because you like a certain preacher and his style, uh, because you like the music, because the church is heavy on apologetics, because there is a homeless ministry, because they're building a new building, and the list goes on and on and on, then the primary reason for your gathering is in vain. But if your gathering with the saints is for the specific purpose that you know that when you gather, you will meet with God, then, brothers and sisters, your time will be a fruitful one. And we will talk about how fruitful it will be in just a moment. If we worship to meet with God, in the manner that God has commanded, then rest assured of this, then you are meeting with God. So this morning, in what could be a, a series that goes on and on and on for the rest of our lives, that we will just have two points this morning on what happens when we worship. So number one, we meet with God. We meet with God. Let's read at least just the first few verses of our text this morning, Hebrews. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter, listen to this phrase, the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart, full of assurance. The point is, we meet with God. And this point that we meet with God, it really does hinge on Pastor Isaiah's first sermon of proper worship. If one is not offering proper worship to God, then one cannot expect to meet with God when they gather for worship. If they're not offering right worship to God, proper worship to God, that which God has commanded of them, required of them, then they cannot expect to meet with God when they gather for worship. One of the elements of proper worship is this, the public assembly of the saints. If you want to meet with God, if you want to worship God and know that he is meeting with you, then the way that must be accomplished is through the public gathering of the saints for worship. Why? Why is that necessary? Why must you meet with the saints in order to meet with God? Because that's what God has commanded. That is what God has commanded. Why is it so important? Why is it so important? Because everything that, that God says happens when we worship, chief among them, God meets with his people. Why is it so important for this gathering, 
for you to be here in this manner? Because of all the things that happen when we worship, the greatest among all those things is this. God has promised to meet with his people. And in this way, God has promised that he will meet with us. In order to uh, meet with God, we must meet with one another. In order to meet with God, we must meet with one another. One of the elements that constitute right worship where God meets with his people is when we meet with one another. Now, here is where, where we must acknowledge, again, some of our assumptions and traditions. When we hear this phrase, meet with God. Many of us, and let me just speak for myself, okay? If you're in the same boat as me, then I, then, then that's good. I'm assuming this about many of us though. We have a preconceived notion about what it means to meet with God and what takes place when we meet with God. We have a, a, these traditions and assumptions about what it means to meet with God and we have these assumptions and traditions about what happens when we meet with God. For some, meeting with God means this, uncontrollable tears. I met with God and I cannot hold back the emotions. I'm just crying and I'm crying and I'm crying. Meeting with God sometimes for some of us, and I'm speaking about my own experience, means music that never ends. It's just this, this ongoing, repetitive, maybe even saying the same kind of course over and over and over and over again. That's meeting with God. We, we just couldn't stop singing. We just couldn't stop. It's dancing that doesn't stop. Or, or this, various prayers around the gathering of the saints that are taking place at the same time. Here's another one. The laying hands on people. Here's what it really is, though. We can mention all these different experiences, traditions that we have. Here's what it boils down to. Ready? Breaking the norm. So-called breaking the tradition. That's the biggest one. I, I know that because in my former tradition that I was also active in, that's what also what I was looking for. Breaking the norm. Uh, when the unexpected happens, that's when you've met with God. When the thing that you have not planned for happens, that's when you met with God. When we stop trying to have order. When we so-called allow the spirit to move. That's, that's, that's when God meets with you. When you don't have so much structure, but instead you allow the spirit to move, which usually means chaos, then you've met with God. But if there's order, you're not meeting with God. But when things are out of control and, and, and things are, are taking place all over the church, that's when you've really met with God. Uh, because God is not a God of, of order. Is After all, he's, he's a God of chaos. And this, this, uh, de this definition of what it means to meet with God is usually rooted in the Spirit of God coming upon the church in the book of, of Acts at Pentecost. Uh, most churches are looking for God to meet with them, and they are assuming that there is utter chaos when the Spirit of God moves upon the church in the book of Acts, that there is absolute chaos, and, and they make that a prerequisite for what we must do when we gather for worship. Uh, let me say to you, saints, that is not meeting with God. God has not prescribed for the church to have utter chaos 
and to lose all sense of order when we gather for worship. Someone may say, well, you just don't believe in the supernatural. You don't believe in the move of the Holy Spirit. Let us be clear. We absolutely believe in the supernatural. We are, as one brother would say, unashamed supernaturalists. We believe, after all, God created the world, but all things by the power of his word. If that's not supernaturalism, I don't know what is. We believe that when we gather worship, we literally are meeting with God. If that's not believing in the supernatural, I don't know what is. We believe that when we come to the Lord's Supper, we are literally fellowshipping with Christ by his blood and by his body. If that's not believing in the supernatural, I don't know what is. No, we we absolutely believe in the supernatural. But we don't believe in chaos. Uh, We don't believe that God has commanded us to, to absolutely lose all sense of structure and seek the creative, seek the unexpected, but rather that God has commanded us how we are to worship. And when we do so, we are then walking in the spirit and we are then truly meeting with God. Now, here's another question. Are all of our times of intimacy with God equal in terms of his promised presence? Does he meet with us the way he's meeting with us now in every time that we choose to meet with him? Uh, I, I, I would say it this way. Can we have, Isaiah, Pastor Isaiah mentioned this too, have, can we have private worship and meet with God? Meaning, just you, yourself. Someone may say, in my closet, with the door shut behind me. Yeah? Yes, you can. You can meet with God there. Can we have family worship and meet with God? Yes, yes you can. You should. Here's another one, though. Is there... A place or space in which God is not. If you're saying, can I meet with him in private worship and will he be there? Yes. See that? If you say, can I meet with him in family worship and will he be there? Yes. And then I follow by, by this question. Is there a place or space in all of existence, all created, all creation where God is not? See how, how, how we're making that argument? Because Psalm 139 says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Listen to the place where the psalmist finds the Lord. If I go to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol or in hell, you are there. There there is no place or space where God is not. So for someone to say, can I meet with him here? Well, yes, he'll be there because there is nowhere that God is not. Can I meet with him there? Yes, you can, because there is no place where God is not. Now, here's where we want to get more specific. Is there something unique about this gathering, though, that is different from the other gatherings of private worship and family worship? The answer, of course, is yes. God has not promised to uniquely meet with us in the same way, privately or with family, that he has promised to meet with us corporately when we gather with the saints. Think about this. Think about your private time of worship. All of you know what your devotional lives are like. Uh, Let me just maybe paint a picture for you. And if it it matches yours, then, then praise God. They are wonderful times, don't they? Times when it's just you and your word. There are times when you are growing and learning. There are times when you maybe uh, will be sitting there with your coffee or your breakfast and you are reading through the scriptures. And as you do, you are having wonderful times with God. 
Now, let me ask you this. Are those times usually followed with, followed by rest, sitting under God's word even more as someone preaches to you? Or are they usually, after your devotional times, usually filled with a busy day? Are your times of devotion usually followed by a busy day? Work, school, traffic, being annoyed at work by your unbelieving uh, co-workers, answering emails, answering text messages. And I say all these things to not make you stumble on the Lord's Day, but just to give you a sense of what takes place after your private time to devotion. Oh, what about family worship? Calling the kids to come and to gather for devotions. That can be a chore in and of itself. Getting them to sit still. Talk, stop talking silly. Stop fighting with your brother or sister. Uh, give that back. Uh, uh, asking each child their catechism question. Can you please be quiet? Wait a minute. I'm talking to him or her now. now. Now let's read from the scriptures. Oh, you have to go to the bathroom. I told you to go before we started this. Right? All of these things. Those points of devotions are distinctly different from our gatherings of worship, aren't they? Can I meet with God anywhere? It seems that most people believe that they can meet with God anywhere outside of here. And most people want to meet with God anywhere outside of here. You remember me saying before that I used to think that my greatest times of meeting with God were when I would take my guitar strapped on my back and my Bible and climb the highest mountain closest to us. And there sing and, and, and read scriptures to, God, to, to myself and to God and thinking, ah, I've met with God today. The point is that our times of private worship and family worship are distinctly different from our gatherings with the saints. Listen to this. When we gather with the saints, let me say this very slowly, at the stated time of meeting, it is a gathering of those, all of those who have been united to Christ in faith in him alone. All of us are gathering because we have something in common. We corporately confess Christ as our Savior. And not only that, but we gather on the day, the day of the Lord. The day that God has deemed, the day that we must worship Him. We have all agreed on this. We've come together at the state of time. And we've filled our day with this. Here it is, ready? Worship and rest. And then this, rest and worship. There are no emails to answer when we get home. There are no text messages that we have to get back to. There, there are no unbelieving co-workers that we have to deal with on this day. The children have been fed God's word today. Uh, you should spend time later. What did you learn today? How is this a blessing to you? Pray with your children today. The day would be filled with just devotion to God. Do you see how they're distinctly different from our private times and our, and our family times? Some of us can barely make time for our family time. But the Lord has given us a day to devote to him. They are distinctly different. And God has promised to meet with his people on this day, at this time, unlike any other time throughout our week. We come for one united purpose, to meet with God and to commune with him. Different backgrounds, different parts of the city, different ages, all coming to offer worship to our triune God. We gather at this particular time. We hear the call from God 
to ascribe to God the glory that is due his name. Here we sing praises. We're going to talk about the call to worship next week. Here we sing praises to God. We hear the word read. We, we read the word together. The word is preached. Here we corporately pray to our God. We fellowship with him at the Lord's Supper. We take of the cup. We take of the body of the Lord. We celebrate our baptism. That there is something unique that takes place when we gather. Those who truly profess faith in Christ come and assemble for worship. And God, listen to this though. God meets with his people. Now when we say that, when I say God meets with his people, I, we, we need to get out of our mind this. God comes down. In my former tradition, it was, Lord, we welcome you into our presence. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. It's, it's just coming down. You come down to us. No, we go up to him. Pastor Isaiah has, has and I hope that you caught this in his prayers. He said things like, we're ascending Mount Zion. Uh, raise us up. Those kind of those kinds of, of phrases, those terms, they're instructional. They're meant to change something about a way that we think about when we meet with God. That is not, we, he, he's coming down to us. No, we're going up to him. And that's why our liturgy should be this ascending kind of, of thing. It should be, we've read his word, we've sung, and now we are, we are preparing ourselves to, to ascend higher as the word of God goes forth. And then even higher as we come to the supper. And then one final blessing, as the preacher says, and may God bless you. There is this ascending to Mount Zion that takes place when we gather for worship. He is drawing us near into where? To the holy place. This building is, oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. This building is not the holy place. Heaven is the holy place and we are being drawn into heaven. That's why when we say what we do here, it should, should most reflect that which is ours in heaven. Because we are being drawn there. We have been given access to the heavenly place by God. Listen to this. The Apostle Peter describes the people of God as being living stones. Living stones. And when we assemble, God builds, as it were, a, a spiritual house. And we become his holy priesthood, the royal nation chosen by God, who offers sacrifices acceptable to God. He's alluding to the Old Testament, to the Old Testament temple. And he's saying, but you're not like those dead stones. You are living stones. That when we assemble, it is why it's so vitally important for us to assemble. Why nothing should stop us or prevent us from gathering with the saints. Because when we assemble, we are holy stones who then house, as the Old Testament temple did, the presence and glory of God. Amen. The Apostle Paul says, in fact, we are those spiritual sacrifices. Our bodies offering them up as Living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. We are living sacrifices. We are living stones who, when we gather together, we are in the presence of God Almighty. Amen. Amen. It's clear. Israel, in Exodus 25, the Lord calls Israel to make a sanctuary that he may dwell among them. He says in Exodus 25, 21, and I will meet with you. And I will meet with you. Sanctuary is the holy place. It's the dwelling place of God among his people. It could be rightly said that a sanctuary is the place where God's presence uniquely dwells among his people. 
The first holy place was the Garden of Eden. The place where God met with man. The, the unique place on earth that housed the very unique presence of God. Later Solomon would choose, would be chosen to build a temple. And the Lord, in completing the temple, the Lord would receive the offerings and sacrifices of the, of the, the priests. Fire consumed them to show that they were accepted by God. And the end result was this, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. It was the holy place. As I said before, this building is not the holy place. It's just a building. We've been taught in my former tradition that there was something special about this building. There was nothing special about this building. If Lord willing, we're able to build another building, we will say good riddance to this building. It's just a building. It was a place where many of us grew. But there's nothing special about this place. There's something special about what? The Word of God. The Word of God that has helped us to grow. The holy place is heaven. And as we gather for worship, we are, we are lifted up to heaven to meet with God. We are a chosen people. A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Who gathers for worship. And when we do, God fills this place with his presence. Not because he comes down, but because he draws us up. We gather for worship. And God meets with us. How is this possible? It's through Christ. Hebrews says, only the priests are able to enter the holy place. And Christ has entered on our behalf. Christ has entered on our behalf. And now we, he says, now we enter this holy place. Now we enter this holy place, this unique place, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, our high priest. He draws us into the holy place. Through faith in our great high priest, we now become one with him who makes us a royal priesthood. We are the people of God. And we have access now into the holy place. And where is the holy place but heaven alone? We meet with God. Let me be clear. Our Lord tells the Samaritan woman that worship, right worship is done in spirit and in truth. And not in a particular place on earth. The woman says, is it here or is it there? And the Lord says, it's, it's neither here nor there. True and right, right worship is done in spirit and in truth. It's not about the place. It's about the Holy Spirit drawing the worshiper near. And again, there is an upward trajectory in our worship. We are spiritually ascending Mount Zion. I pray that this morning you are receiving a taste of heaven. I pray that this morning, not in man's effort. Man doesn't work himself up to heaven. It's the work of the Holy Spirit who draws us to himself. When we worship, we meet with God, and that is what is happening in a real and spiritual manner. We are meeting with, fellowshipping with, communing with God. We are being lifted up to the holy place. Now, in closing this point, it's difficult because we often, because we are tangible people, we want to see, feel, touch, hear, taste, all of those things. So when we say we are literally meeting with God, we might say something like, well, where is he? I don't see him. And this is why... Uh, in some of our former traditions, we liked what we experienced, experienced because we felt something we would say. 
because we could feel something, we thought the feeling that we were feeling was God literally meeting with us. Now, does this mean that you are not supposed to feel anything? No, you. it's fine to feel. But don't divorce truth from feeling. Because we are to worship God, what? In spirit, yes, and truth. As we said last week, knowledge without zeal is wrong. And zeal without knowledge is wrong. We must have them both. Do not think for one second. I'm going to say this when I go to Emmaus. Maybe the Lord may tell me not to. Uh, (laughs) Or he may quicken me not to. I've been in at least enough Reformed Baptist churches that when I preach, I've heard some men come up to me afterwards and say, I wanted to say amen when you were preaching. And I say to them, well, then why didn't you? And you know what their answer is usually? I don't know. Just say it. Right? You are worshiping God. And if there is something that that dwells up or or wells up within you that that makes you want to, I want to say amen, then say it. I want it to clap, then clap. You're worshiping God in spirit and in truth. No one's stopping you. Don't let what you seem or what you think is some kind of culture of not clapping and not saying amen stop you. We're create, we are creators of the culture, right? We are the ones who determine whether or not it's taboo to say amen or clap. But when you start saying it and doing it, then it no longer becomes taboo. It becomes what we do. Don't allow yourself to be absent of feeling. It's okay to feel as long as it's rooted in truth. We meet with God. Let's go to our next point. <clears throat> Did the air get turned off? Number two, we are conformed. What happens when we worship? We are conformed. Conformed. Uh, Genesis chapter 126, and there'll be a couple of verses here. Genesis 126, God says in the original intent of man's creation, let us make man in our image. According to our likeness, verse 27 So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We have considered the fact that when we meet with God, we we, or when we gather for worship, we meet with God. And now, I'd like to consider with you what happens also during that time of, of meeting with God. Okay, we are meeting with God. Now, what's going on when we're meeting with God? Yes, we are fellowshipping with him. Uh, Yes, we are communing with him. Uh, What is taking place as we are offering us first offering to God worship? What is taking place? Well, we are reminded of this in our first sermon. We have been created for worship. We've been made in the image of God. The image has been marred by sin. We've deviated from it. But God, again, boundless in mercy, has decreed to save people for his own glory, to restore Man to the reason for his existence, to glorify God, but also to restore the image of God in fallen man. Therefore, what is being accomplished when we worship? We are being restored. We are being, the image of God is being restored. Not to what it was when Adam Uh, before the fall of Adam, to something better than Adam was before the fall. Uh, As Brother Richard Barcellus would say, something better than the beginning. Think about this. You're coming. Are you just attending? Singing? 
reciting, listening, fellowshipping, and then going home? Is that, is that, is that the gist of your gathering for worship? Is that all that happens? Just our offering to God? Is there only giving on our part that takes place here? Well, giving is first and foremost. But if we rightly understand worship to be a spiritual act, wherein we offer to God that which is right, appropriately His, where we fellowship with God, commune with God, then we must know that, that our times of fellowship and communion with God, that they are fruitful. Fruitful in one sense. Fruitful in the sense that we are, we are not just giving, we are receiving. When we worship and commune with God, we are receiving what? Receiving a being conformed to Christ. We are literally being shaped, changed, and fashioned into His likeness. A worship is the primary means by which God shapes and fashions us into Christ's likeness. Romans 8.29 For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be what? Conformed. You have been predestined for what reason? God has, has chosen and elected you for what reason? So that you might be conformed to what? To the image of His Son. That we might be the firstborn among many brethren. When we worship, brothers and sisters, we are being conformed to Christ. Literally, right now, as the Word of God is being given to you, you are being conformed to Christ. This is another of the many reasons why right worship, that worship that has been prescribed by God, is so vitally important. Because wrong worship doesn't produce you being conformed to Christ's likeness. Right worship has the, the fruit-producing ability to make you like Christ. But if we're not worshiping in the way that God has commanded, you won't be like Christ. You might go to other churches, or know people who go to other churches, who don't worship as we do. They're nice enough people. They seem nice enough. Uh, you can say that about Mormons. You can say that about Jehovah's Witnesses. You can say that about Muslims. You can say the same thing about people from all, uh, all parts of the spectrum of religion. Well, what's the difference? We are mirroring what we worship. Say it this way. We are becoming like what we worship. We reflect what we are worshiping. Now, how is that seen? Is it just seen in, in how people are kind to one another? Again, unbelievers are kind to one another. It's not just in kindness. How is it seen? Is, is it more so outwardly? Not always, but sometimes. You know what outward worship looks like. Uh, think about this. Think about the person who outwardly displays who his favorite sports team is. All right. You've seen the extreme sports fan. In every aspect of their lives, there's evidence of who they love, who they root for. They won't leave their house without their hat. Their favorite team, yeah, they have a flag of their favorite team on their car. As they drive, you know who they root for. The license plate even tells everyone who they're devoted to. They drink from a cup with their favorite team on it. They know the stats. 
of every player on that team. They know the, the lives of that player and why they're doing so bad or why they're doing so good in their lives because of what's going on in their personal lives, right? They may even go as far as having the tattoo of their favorite team logo right on their body somewhere. You get the point. The point is this. In all aspects of their lives, you can see who they worship. You can see what they value. You can see who is highest to them, right? And some of us may say, well, those are extremists. But it's no different for the believer, though, is it? Because we are all worshiping something, someone. What we worship may not always be visible. You may not be walking around, as some silly people do, I think, uh, with the, uh, the latest reform shirt on. Right? And you always have to wear a shirt of, of the solos. And <laughs> uh, you have to wear your hat that says reformed. And I've even seen someone silly get enough to get tattooed on their arm or reformed, who is no longer reformed. <laughs> Must you go that far? No. There's nothing wrong if you do, per se. But having it on the outside doesn't necessarily mean that it's on the inside. How do I know that it's on the inside? How do I know that I'm most reflecting Christ in my heart? Oh, here's how, how you know. Ready? Whatever we give most of our time to, whatever we give most of our resources to, whatever we give our mind to, our passions to, that is what we worship. Whatever is most of our time, most of our resources, most of our mind, most of our passion, that is what we worship. And it may not necessarily be reflected in, in, on the outside, but it is at least what is found here and here. Now, before some of us think about work, because that's often what comes up, someone might say, well, I have, I have to work. I spend most of my time at work, etc., etc." That's not what I'm talking about. Listen to the point. Whatever we give most of our time to, but listen, resources, that's money. Uh, giving our greatest efforts toward, giving our greatest uh, mental energy toward, uh, that which we most think of, that, that which we are most interested in, that which possesses our passions and our, uh, our affections. Does work possess your affections like that? That which we love the most, what else could that be except that which we worship? In that, in, in that definition, what else could that be except that which we worship? Let's also be aware of this. Let's also be aware that our families. Uh, let me say this. Children or no children. A spouse or no spouse. That could also be something that we are tempted to worship. That which we give. Listen to this again. Our time, our energy, our greatest efforts, our, our greatest mental energy. That which we think about the most, that which we are most interested, that which we are most passionate about, that which, which we love the most, is that which we worship. Does that explain your love and devotion and worship to God? Are you most interested in Him? 
Are, are you most, are you giving most of your efforts mentally, emotionally, affectionately? Are you giving most of these to God? Now, someone may say, you're not supposed to give most. You're supposed to give it all. And to that I would say, amen. Anything other than Father, Son, and Spirit that you are offering this kind of energy to, this kind of effort to, this kind of love to, is unacceptable. And listen to this, and it is idolatry. You have been, you and I have been created for, for the purpose of offering all of these things. What, what does the Lord say? The, the young man comes to him and says, what must I do to enter into the kingdom of heaven? And what does the Lord say? You know the law. Love the Lord your God. With what? All of it. All of it. Any of that offered to anything else is idolatry against God. And, and think about what God says about the idols. In Psalm 135, the idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. Uh, they have mouths, but they don't speak. Eyes, but they don't see. Ears, but they cannot hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouths. And those who make them are like them. Another verse says, a version says, and those who make them are dumb like them. He says, so is everyone who trusts in them. Why is worship to another thing or another one sinful against God? First, because it is contrary to the purpose that you and I have been created. We've been created to worship God. You know the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the love, love the Lord your, or the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. This is the first creed, yes? Worship to God. And God alone is the only acceptable worship to, to all of God's creatures. Ascribe to the Lord, you families of the earth. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Ascribe to the Lord the, the weightiness due His name. Offer to God. Worship. This is your spiritual act of devotion. God says, do not offer to yourselves. Do not offer yourselves to idols. They're foolish. They can't hear. They can't speak. John, Jonathan Cruz says, the, God's condemnation of these idols is that they are dumb, stupid. Listen to this. Lifeless creatures. There is no worthiness in them. Therefore, they lack requisite worship. They're not worthy of being worshipped. They have no life in them. Here's, here's the thing. They have no life in them. Therefore, they can give no life back. And if we offer our lives to them, hearts, minds, soul, that's your life. If you're offering your life to them, expecting those idols to give life back, you and I will be sorely saddened. Because they can't give anything back. They can't give anything back. And here's the other thing. And then we become just like them. We give life to them and they give nothing back. And therefore we become people who can give nothing at all either. What should you be as believers, as, as keepers of the gospel of Lord Jesus Christ... What should you be giving to those who are around you and to those who are unbelieving around you? You should be giving the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
But if you're if you're investing in something that can't give life, then you have no life to give. What is your purpose on this earth but to worship God? And to do what? To proclaim the name of Christ so that his people might live. You are witnesses. You are keepers of the flame. But if you have no fire, you will just be as dark and lost and cold as the unbeliever. But when we worship God, the only one who is worthy of worship, we offer life and we get life in return. How are we able to offer life? Because life was first offered for us. And then we offer life back. And then we get life back. There's this, Pastor Isaiah talked about this in our men's Bible study. There's this, this exiting and return. This exiting and return. Well, the first giving was from God. You did not love him first, but he first loved us. And in doing so, he gives to us life. And, and what do we, do we do with our lives? We offer them back as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. And what do we get back? We get back life. We, we are doing what? We are, we are, the life of Christ is being impressed upon our lives. Now think of that wax that, that would carry the seal of those who, whose uh, name it bore. Uh, the name of Christ is being impressed upon our lives. The life of Christ is being impressed upon our lives. We are being more and more molded and shaped, conformed to Christ. And Christ's likeness, you being like Christ, is the goal for your life. Why do you live to worship God? What is the terminus for your life to worship God? To be like Christ. Because you are being made ready for glory. You, you are being, you are being ready to behold the beatific vision. What is exactly being conformed in closing? <laughs> These are all under this, this same point of we are being conformed. The Apostle Paul answers that question, doesn't he? Do not, Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may approve that which is the will of God or the will of God which is good and acceptable. When we worship, our minds are being conformed. Our minds, our understanding, our reasoning, our beliefs, our values, they are being transformed. We have all not been born with renewed minds. We must be born again. And then in being born again, we are, we are given renewed minds or minds that are in process of being renewed. What is happening right now is the word of God is going forth. Your minds are being renewed. You are being taught. Here's one thing, because I saw eyes change. Here's one thing that, that has changed in your mind today. Uh, we don't call God down. He, we are called up. There's, there's been a, a, a transforming there in our minds today. You are being given now the mind of Christ. We, our minds, are being taken from worldly minds to minds that are word-centered. Our minds are being conformed, again, to the mind of Christ don't you want to know what Christ knows? Don't you want to believe what Christ believes? Uh, to reason as Christ reasoned? I think all of us would rightly say yes. Please, and, and the sooner the better. As the word of God goes forth, as we gather for worship and, and take part in all of the means of grace, we are being transformed in our minds. The word of God will accomplish. It will not return void. It will accomplish all that it is set out to accomplish. 
you hear the word of God and you attend to it by faith, it will produce fruit. Now, being here and just being here, uh, but not hearing, don't expect any fruit. Being here, attending the word of God by faith, listening intently as we talked about and we'll talk about more, leaning into God's word, actively participating in worship, not not unconsciously participating in worship, but consciously participating in worship. Fruit will come forth by the work of the Holy Spirit upon your mind. You will be changed. What does the word do? It instructs the people of God, tells us what's true, what's not. It is the only certain rule of faith and obedience, our confession says. It tells us what we must obey, what we must believe. When we gather to worship, we submit to God's word. We say, is that from God's word? Ouch, that hurts, but I've got to take it. Is that from God's word? Ouch, that, that's going to change my life in dramatic ways, but it's God's word. I've got to take it. A dear uh, brother called me some time ago in question about a certain doctrine. And I was exuberant at what he had to say. I had to put the phone on mute and started shouting out to God. Thank you, God. I praise you, Lord. Uh, it, here's why I was exuberant, because the gentleman on the other line says, I have been trying and trying to find a way around this doctrine. But the more I read God's word, I just can't put back on mute. Praise God. I, oh, I, I, that's great to hear, brother. What's the point? The man was showing he'd been given a new mind. Which says this, what God's word says, I must obey even if I don't like it. Even if it's going to cause dramatic changes in my life, it's God's word. And because I've been given a new mind, I must obey. We can't come to the, the hearing of the preached word and say, I pretty much have it all together. Hearing the word and we would be like that rich young ruler. Check. Uh-huh. Check. Keep going. Hey, A plus today. No long for a transformed mind. Lord, shape it. Correct it. Rebuke it if need be. Whatever must take place here. Lord, I submit to your word. I want to know what's true, and I want to love what is true. It's the other thing that's transformed, conformed when we gather for worship. Now, listen to the, the prayer of the Apostle Paul for the church of Philippi. And this I pray, that your love may abound more. He says, still more and more. He's saying, you love God, but I pray that your love would abound still more and more. Listen to this, in real knowledge. And all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Paul prays that as our knowledge abounds and grows more and more, so our love for God will abound more and more. The two are connected. The more that you know, the more that you will love. The more you know, the more that you will love. And that's why for the person who says, you guys are all about theology. What's wrong with you? Do you not want to know your God? And do you know what the, the, the fruit of knowing God is? It's love for God. But we are not just people who come with minds, as Pastor Isaiah said before. We come with minds and hearts, and we offer them to God. 
And both of them abound, abound, abound as they increase. My knowledge of him increases and so does my love for him increase. You cannot love what you don't know. Some of us uh, will be offered different foods. You don't love this? How do you not love this? And some of us, I've never had it before. Oh, you've got to have it. And then when you know it, you will love it. Sometimes it's true and sometimes it's not. But it's always true if you are in Christ. If you are in Christ, it's always true. Know it and you will love it. Some of us have confessed, I didn't love it at first. But it was mostly because I didn't understand it. Oh, and now that I do, now that I know, now that I understand, oh, I praise God that he has helped me to see. My, my mother, uh, there's a friend who has been a friend of hers for years and years and years, who has been a, a, a devout charismatic for years and years and years, has a friend who recently, my mom says, he, she says, uh, her friend Allie has said, my husband has started listening to this man, and he can't get enough of him. He, he's been listening to his man, and, and I've been telling my mom, tell her to come to our church. Tell her to come. I, he's, she's just stuck in her way, so let's keep praying for her. And she has been. He's been listening to this man. He's been reading. Now he wants to buy his books. Who is it, Mom? R.C. Sproul. That's the first step. That's the gateway. You know the other step. That's the gateway. It won't be long before she well, tell me about your church. To God be the glory. He didn't know, and now he's knowing. And he's saying, I can't get enough of this guy. It won't be long before he starts to see that what's being said by Sproul is not being said in the church that he's at. He's saying, I need to go somewhere else. Convictions of what I know now are too strong. I don't love that anymore. I'm starting to love this, and this is actually God's word. Didn't we all go there? I love when I hear new, new, new saints come in. Who are you listening to? Oh, and they start to the name the ones that we all have begun with. Praise be to God for them. Hearts are being conformed. My, minds are being conformed. We are learning to obey him and to give to him all of the love that is within our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And as we know and as we love, we will be tested. We are being made like Christ at this time. This is where you are most conformed to Christ through God's word, through the regular meeting of the saints, through the gathering of the saints in public worship. This is where you are most like Christ. When you are tested, the test is, are you who you say you are? Do you really believe what you say you believe? And when you come to the test and you go, I, I, by the help of the Spirit, have passed. You will rejoice because you have been counted worthy to suffer, to be persecuted as Christ suffered and was persecuted. And guess what? And you pass the test. You are who you say you are or you are who Christ has said you are. You are his. And aren't those moments of great joy? And when we fail, there are moments of great disappointment because we know this is what we believe. We know this is who we are. We truly believe it. That's good. Because my dad used to say, well, then there'll be another test. Fail that one, you'll get another one. 
And, and, and Pastor Isaiah mentioned this recently. And then when you do, you'll remember the last one and how you failed. And it'll help you for the next one. But this is where you are conformed to Christ. Here. Out there is where you put it into practice. For those whom... It was the test of Job, wasn't it? Let me move on. Let's see if he is who you say he is. Okay, Romans 8. For those whom he has predestined, he also called. And those who he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. I want you to see the contrast. Worship offered rightly to the creator produces being conformed to Christ and culminates in our being like Christ when we are finally glorified. We shall be like him. We shall reign with him. But worship offered to the creature produces the opposite. Dumb, death, blind, miserable, worthless, just like the idols that we worship. In closing, you remember the children of Israel. Freed from their bondage of sin, or freed from their bondage in, of slavery in Mount in Egypt, led to Mount Zion to do what? To worship. Moses ascends to Mount Sinai to receive the law for the people of God. They impatiently waited for Moses. They could not hold back their innate desire to worship God, but rather, instead of waiting for Moses to return, they fashioned idols, calves. And they began to dance around and say, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. They became like their idols. Appearance of being able to give life like a calf has the appearance of being able to give life, but without the ability to do so. Conversely, Moses, what does he do? After meeting with God, climbs down the mountain. And he too is different. He has become like what he has worshipped. Uh, those of you from my background, he had the Shekinah glory of God on his face. He had seen and been with God. I pray that that be the testimony of every single one of you when you leave our gatherings of worship, that people would see you, that you would see your wife or your husband, that you would be with your children. You could say about them that they have been with God. Surely the Lord is in this place. Brothers and sisters, when we meet with God... Gather for worship, we meet with God, and he makes us like himself. Let us pray.